0: We read the word of the Lord this morning in Hebrews chapter 11. We've been making our way through this chapter. It's been a while since we've read this chapter as our scripture reading. So to help put the verses that we consider this morning back in their context, we read again Hebrews chapter 11. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead, yet speaketh. By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death, and was not found, because God had translated him. For before his translation he had this testimony, that he pleased God. But without faith it is impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. By faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world, and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. but now they desire a better country that is and heavenly. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. By faith, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac. And he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called, accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. By faith, Jacob, when he was a dying, blessed both the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning upon the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when he died, made mention of the departing of the children of Israel and gave commandment concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child, and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible, Through faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith they passed through the Red Sea, as by dry land, which the Egyptians, assaying to do, were drowned. By faith the walls of Jericho fell down, after they were compassed about seven days, By faith, the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not, when she had received the spies with peace. And what shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak, and of Samson and of Jephthah, of David also, Samuel and of the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, Stopped the mouths of lions, clenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection." And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts, and in mountains, and in dens and caves of the earth. And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. God having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. That's where we read God's holy and inerrant word. May God add his blessing upon the reading of his holy scriptures. The text that God gives us to consider this morning is verses 24 through 26. By faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God, than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. Beloved congregation in the Lord Jesus Christ, The text that God gives unto us to consider for a few moments this morning sets before us a man who was compelled of God to make a life-altering decision. It would be a decision with implications that would affect him Implications that would affect him for the rest of his life, the next 80 years. It would be a decision that would have implications for God's covenant nation. And it would be a decision that would have implications for the enemy of God's covenant nation, the Egyptians whose leader and whose army would eventually be drowned as a consequence of this decision. We look at this decision on what is called Father's Day. We are thankful for godly fathers, for The example that they set before us as children of perseverance, of endurance, and of love. And yet we as fathers would be the first to confess and readily admit our own weaknesses and shortcomings when it comes to living a life as a godly Father. And so we consider this text, Hebrews 11, verses 24-26, through 26, this morning with a view especially to applying it to the life of a Father. What is it that makes a man a godly man? There's a lot of discussion in today's world about what differentiates a man from a woman. But this morning we're interested in the question, what is a godly man? Not just what is a man, but what is a spiritual, Christ-like man? May God give us His Holy Spirit so that as we consider the hero of faith, Moses, we might learn a little bit more about what it means to be godly man. Moses' refusal to be called an Egyptian. First, we'll consider the options that were before him, whether to stay in Egypt or go with God's people, second, look at the decision that he made. And then third, see the motive for making that decision, the reward, respect it. He had res- respect unto the recompense of the reward. There were basically two options in front of Moses. The options themselves are not hard to understand, The the decision to abide by and make that decision was far more difficult. Two options in front of Moses as he comes now to years of discretion, he's about 40 years old at this point, were either to remain in Egypt and live as an Egyptian and be counted and numbered and enjoy all the benefits of being in Egyptian or to leave behind Egypt and to count himself and be numbered with the children of God and so let's contrast momentarily these two options then which were before Moses the first option that Moses had at 40 years of age was To remain with the people of Egypt. What did Egypt have to afford unto him? What would have been the benefits of remaining with Egypt? Let's put ourselves in Moses' shoes here for a second and look at what would be available to me if I was in Moses' position. To remain in Egypt meant that Moses would be counted as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. That's the first benefit of remaining in Egypt. Verse 24, the second half says that he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And the Scriptures are intentional in using that name. He refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Not just he refused to stay in the land of Goshen... Not just he refused to be counted as an Egyptian, but he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. To be the son of Pharaoh's daughter meant that Moses had been taken into the high courts of the land of Egypt. To be counted as the son of Pharaoh's daughter Meant that Moses would have all of the rights and all of the privileges of one who was a prince in the land of Egypt. For him to be the son of Pharaoh's daughter would mean that Moses would have a position equal to or perhaps even higher than the position that Pharaoh, or rather that Joseph, Enjoyed in the land of Egypt. He could be the son of Pharaoh's daughter. There's something else that the scriptures tell us about what Moses would have had in the land. That comes out in Acts, Acts 7, verse 22. We read there, and Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and was mighty in words and in deeds. We mustn't imagine that Moses was an ignorant fellow who just so happened to be adopted into the high courts of Egyptian royalty, and who only because of the fact that he happened to be gathered up by Pharaoh's daughter out of the reeds of the Nile River, that because of that he enjoyed a position of prestige in Egypt. But rather, Moses was a learned and a wise individual. He was learned in the wisdom of the Egyptians. And recall, the Egyptians were a very advanced nation upon the earth. And so Moses understood the history of the Egyptians, the language and the culture of the Egyptians. Moses understood the mathematics and the engineering where the Egyptians particularly excelled. And so here Moses is not only in a royal position, but a learned and a wise man who has the ability to exercise influence in his position. What would you do if you were 40 years old given this position of power, a learned individual raised in the courts of the king, and now you must make this decision. Adding to the difficulty is the fact that Moses could have tried to justify staying in the courts of Pharaoh by thinking to himself, I'll be able to use my position here for the good of the Israelites. Let's say he did have a heart for his fellow Jewish brethren who were presently enslaved under the taskmasters of Pharaoh, Moses could have attempted to argue within himself and say, well, would it not be better for these Israelites if I remain in this position of power and influence? Perhaps I can so influence Pharaoh that he passes laws and legislation that would be more suitable for the Israelites living here in Goshen. What would you do if you were in that spot? What does a godly man do? What else did Egypt have to offer? Riches. Abundant riches. The text tells us that. Exodus, or rather Hebrews 11 Verse 25, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Or rather, verse 26 is what I'm looking for. 26, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. And we mustn't minimize in our minds the amount of riches that Egypt had At this time, Egypt was one of the, if not the, richest nation upon the earth at that point in time. What young man, as he thinks about what job he wants, what career he would have, is not drawn, at least in some way, To the thought of riches. I want this or that job because it will make me rich. I'm going to pass up on this job and look for a different employment because I want more money. Riches. What else did Egypt have to offer? To Moses, the pleasures of sin. Moses, verse 25, chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Egypt was indeed a wicked nation that worshipped pagan gods. Had been given over to total idolatry. The wickedness of the nation, of the citizens of the nation of Egypt, was revealed through the wickedness of their leaders. That is always the case, is it not? That the moral integrity or lack thereof of the leaders of a nation is a reflection of the moral integrity or lack thereof of the citizens of a nation. God in his judgment gives to wicked nations wicked kings who rule over them. God in his judgment to the wicked Egyptians gave them a wicked Pharaoh who delighted in the pleasures of sin. How wicked were the Egyptians? So wicked were they that the Scriptures do not even indicate that the Egyptians so much as blinked in surprise when Pharaoh gave the edict that the Israelite boys be cast into the river. Moses now faced the choice of whether he would remain where he could enjoy the pleasures of the sins of Egypt for a while, or whether he would suffer affliction with the people of God. The pleasures of sin. Striking that the Scriptures say that. Enjoy the pleasures of sin. And we mustn't deceive ourselves into thinking that Well, because we are Christians, because we are godly men, therefore sin isn't pleasurable to us anymore. No, we we, we must and we do recognize sin is pleasurable. It doesn't last permanent or lasting pleasure, but there is a certain earthly and carnal pleasure that is derived from sin. If there were no pleasure in sin, we would not want to commit sin. But it's exactly because there is something carnal that can be derived from sin that satisfies the base lusts of the flesh that sin is to us a temptation and even pleasurable. And so what then... What were these pleasures of sin that Moses would have been able to enjoy had he remained in Egypt? We may speak broadly of any of the temptations that sin provides. If one had wanted to desecrate the Sabbath day, Egypt would have provided that opportunity where one could use the Sabbath day to do whatever they wanted. If one wanted to fornicate, Egypt would have provided that. If one wanted to lust, to steal, to fight, Egypt would have provided that and the pleasures that come with sinfulness. But we can be more specific. What was the pleasure of sin? that would have been afforded to Moses, the sin that Moses would be guilty of and that would have given him pleasure would have been the sin of rebelling against the will of Jehovah God. Moses knew that he had to go with the Israelites to the land of Canaan. For Moses to remain in Egypt would be for Moses to rebel against the known will of God. Perhaps for a season, for a time, Moses would have derived some satisfaction from rebelling against that will of God. For a while, Moses would have been happy as he enjoyed the treasures and the riches that Egypt had to afford. But it would only be for a season until his conscience so plagued him that he would be a miserable man. What would you do if you were in Moses' position. Contrasted with what Egypt had to offer, the alternative looked pretty dark. The alternative was for Moses to leave Egypt to join with the people of God and to head for the land of Canaan. Certainly, there would be some blessings we recognize in Moses going that direction. There would be the blessing of him setting his face toward the promised land, that land of rest. Further, there would be the blessing of being with the people of God. Verse 25 says, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God. That would have been a blessing unto Moses, that instead of being with this nation of which he is a stranger and a foreigner, he would be with the children and the other people of God. 1 Peter 2, verse 9 describes the people of God. They are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and a peculiar people. To be with the people of God would be a blessing because these were the people in whom God delighted. They were the people whom God had chosen from before the foundations of the earth, the people whom God had set apart to be a holy and a unique nation, a nation that would later be redeemed with the blood of God's own Son. And so that would be a blessing certainly for Moses. But, consider as well what it would mean for Moses to be with the people of God. It would mean affliction. And that's what these verses emphasize as we look at this alternative option of going with God's people. Verse 25, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God. Verse 26, Esteeming the reproach of Christ. Greater riches than the treasure in Egypt. to Suffer affliction with the people of God. For Moses to choose this means that Moses is going to be mistreated. It means that Moses is not going to be treated with equity or with fairness. It means that Moses is going to be hated and even reproached esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. Jesus would bear up under reproach, but all those who are united unto Jesus by a living faith also bear up under the reproach of Jesus Christ. The reproach of Christ was the shame and the disgrace that would be heaped upon the head of Jesus Christ for the sins which God's people had ungodly committed against Him. The reproach of Jesus Christ would be the fact that He would be cast outside of the camp. That He would be hanged as an animal upon that accursed tree so that as a lamb, His blood would be shed for sins which He had not committed. Moses as Moses evaluated these two options, was able to see that to join with the children of God would mean that he must bear that reproach of Jesus Christ. The shame and the the disgrace that comes with being a part of God's covenant nation. Certainly this does not mean that Moses bearing the reproach of Christ was going to make satisfaction for sins which he and others had committed against God. No, Jesus Christ Himself alone would be able to bear up under the weight of God's wrath. But as Moses would bear that reproach of Jesus Christ, it means that Moses would begin to fill up that which was left behind of the sufferings of the body of Jesus Christ, which is the church. By way of an aside, we see here the unity of the Old and New Testament. Do we not? The text says of Moses that Moses esteemed the reproach of Christ. Moses, an Old Testament saint, knew about Christ. He likely did not know the name Christ, but he knew the Old Testament equivalent, the Messiah. He knew of the promised One who would come. The Old Testament saints were saved no less by faith in Jesus Christ than New Testament saints are saved by faith in Jesus Christ. There's a unity between the old and the new, indicated by the fact that Moses, as an Old Testament saint, esteemed the reproach of Christ. Now we return to the question what would you and I do as we weigh these two options in the balance? Remain in Egypt where you have power, education, influence, riches, pleasures of sin. Join with God's people where you will suffer affliction, be mistreated, and bear even the reproach of Jesus Christ himself. The decision that Moses made was to suffer affliction with the people of God. Three words in this text describe the decision that Moses made. He refused, he chose, and he esteemed. He refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to suffer affliction with the people of God, and he esteemed the reproach of Christ's greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. Refusal. That's an important part of what it means to be a godly man. It means that I have the strength of character to refuse the wickedness that the world sets in front of me. Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. That means that Moses stood up and disowned the position that he had in the courts of Pharaoh's house. He refused it. That word literally means denial or to deny. That's what Peter did sinfully three times over unto Jesus Christ. He denied a relationship with Jesus Christ. I know not the man. Just as Peter sinfully denied a relationship with Jesus Christ, so Moses, in righteousness and in faith, denied that the son of Pharaoh's daughter was going to be his mother rather denied that he would be the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He said, no. The person who is a people pleaser struggles to do that. Imagine the pressure that was put on Moses by Pharaoh's daughter to stay. She knew how wise he was. She could see God's blessing in his life. She saw how learned he was in the ways of Egyptian culture and math and science. Imagine the pressure that she put on him to stay. Don't you dare go with those people. And yet he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And then he chose to suffer affliction with the people of God, esteeming the reproach of Christ. To choose means to prefer. He preferred suffering with God's people than the pleasures of sin for a season. To esteem means to count. He counted up what it would mean to remain in Egypt, and he counted up what it would mean to be associated with and joined with the people of God. And after counting up and totaling the two, he then compared the two in his mind, and he judged that it would be more honorable and more worthy for him to go with the people of God. That's what biblical manhood is. It is not ignorance of what it means to be a Christian. Biblical manhood is not being so strong, so courageous of one's Self, that one is impervious to any of the trials and struggles that men go through on this earth. It wasn't as if Moses was unaware of the difficulties that would come with joining with the Israelites to go to the land of Canaan. Sometimes the world presents manhood in that way, that to be a man is to be almost a superhuman being, to be a macho man, to have such abundant strength and courage that nothing affects you and that nothing gets a man down. And for a man to confess any sort of struggle any sort of internal or physical strife in his life is an indication of weakness in that man. You should be so strong that there never should be a tear rolling down your cheek. That's the idea of being a real strong man. That wasn't Moses. Moses esteemed the reproach of Christ. He knew full well what it would mean for him to go with the Israelites. He acknowledged the hurt, the disgrace, the difficulties that would come with him joining with God's people. And yet, he esteemed it to be better, to be greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. Faith. And faith only explains this decision. Faith gave unto Moses the wisdom so that he could understand this is the will of God. Faith then gave unto Moses The power to refuse to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter and to choose to suffer with the people of God. Faith united Moses not only unto Almighty God, but faith united Moses with the people of God. By faith, Moses chose rather to suffer afflictions with the people of God. Moses understood that although he personally could have enjoyed a measure of earthly success in the courts of Pharaoh, that there was something more important than his own personal comforts and success in life. Moses understood that he was part of a body. Part of the body of the Messiah. The promised one whom we know to be Jesus Christ. And as Moses contemplated the fact that he was part of that body of Jesus Christ, There was then no doubt in the mind of Moses, I must choose to be with the people of God. Even if that means that I must suffer affliction with the people of God. I would rather endure that affliction with God's children upon this earth than have personal success and the treasures of Egypt and the pleasures of sin. Faith drew Him unto and united Him unto the body, which was God's covenant nation. And we do well, beloved, to keep that on the forefront of our mind, especially we as fathers, as we make decisions for our homes and for our families. Does this decision that I as a father make help unite myself and my family unto that body of believers? Or is this decision that I as a father make going to begin to take me away from the body? Moses chose to be with the people of God. In the fall, when Bible study season starts up, Am I going to be with the people of God studying His Word? Or will my selfish desires take over and I'm too tired to go to Bible study? As I think about where to live, am I as a father going to choose to be intentional in living close to where the body is at so I can participate in the organic life of the church? Or am I going to choose to be on the fringes, still have my name in the church, but be as far away from the body as I possibly can be? When I look for a job, Am I going to seek a job that permits me to be able to fellowship with the body or is my pursuit of a career a career solely for the purpose of getting money for my wallet Moses chose to suffer affliction with the people of God the motive that he had for doing that was He respected the reward. The text says in verse 26, for He had respect unto the recompense of the reward. When the junior catechism class memorizes this, they always stumble over those words. Big R words. Respect unto the recompense of the reward. What this means is He had His eyes on the reward that would be given Him in full. That's the idea here. He had His eyes fixed upon the reward that would be recompensed, that is, given unto Him. That reward would be given unto Him in full. Not in part but in its entirety, the blessings that God had reserved away for him would be given unto Moses. Moses believed that there was a reward, and that reward was not just Canaan, though he did have his eyes fixed on the earthly land of Canaan, but that reward was beyond Canaan, the reward that Moses had respect unto, that he had his eyes fixed on, was that heavenly land. He, along with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, looked for that city which hath foundations, whose builder and whose maker is God. He looked not with earthly natural eyes, but he looked with spiritual eyes, the eyes of faith. For faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And even though Moses could not see this reward, even though Moses only had a small beginning in understanding the magnitude of this reward that would be given unto him, Moses believed that this reward and the glory of this reward far exceeded the pleasures that sin could afford unto Him. We mentioned earlier that yes, sins do provide pleasure, but they're temporary. You can enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Literally, the fleeting Pleasures of sin. Happy for a moment, disgruntled and sick the next moment. That's what happens with sin. Moses had his eyes fixed not on the pleasures of sin, but on the pleasures of life with God. He respected that reward. He did not ignore, overlook, or minimize the difficulties in front of Him. He knew that He would be suffering and bearing reproach. And yet He chose not to focus on the struggles of this earth but to keep his eyes fixed on heaven. Faith, and faith only, assures you and me that there is that reward for us as well. It is not because we reach out for this reward that now because of our efforts, we become worthy of the reward It is not that God holds out this reward unto us with His hand wide open. And now if only you will reach out and grab that reward, now you may have it too. But faith in Jesus Christ gives us the confidence that God will reward His children. Faith directs our attention to the finished work of Jesus Christ upon the cross. Faith leads us to see the Lamb without blemish led outside of the camp where He was hanged. Faith takes us from the cross to the empty tomb on Sunday morning. Faith believes that Jesus Christ is not here, for He is risen. Faith believes that Jesus Christ has in heaven for us a reward, an inheritance incorruptible, which will not perish, but is reserved for God's children. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father and our God in heaven, we thank Thee that for Jesus' sake Thou hast taken us into Thy family and Thou dost bestow upon us blessings earned through our elder brother. May Thy Spirit so fill us that we walk not by sight but by faith, having respect unto the recompense of the reward. Wilt thou pardon our sins? For Jesus' sake, we pray this. Amen.